Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. All right. And you know what? The longer it takes us to figure that out, the better we are. The better we are. Because we just keep working. And we just keep getting better. All right? Day after day. We'll be better we tomorrow than we were today. All right? Fly. Bitch, I'm a niner from the earthquake country. I can make the earth shake. About to bring it back like the 89 earthquake. Throw a pass on me, I'ma catch it like crab tree. Who got the kush? Cause the smoker gotta have tree. And pass the joint, cause the player gotta have mo. I split a blunt down the middle like Frank Go. A quarterback don't pull it like Kaepernick. And take a poodle out the game like Alex Smith. Red and gold, that's the color of the realest. Staying on my toes, call me Patrick Willis. We back up in it. It's my team winning. I'm the comeback kid. All I need is one. Minute. We went in like the 80s, it's a Super Bowl city Fitted, take another ring home, Super Bowl city Ain't nobody fucking with us I got red and gold in my cup Wild West got the game turned up Who got it better than us? Faithful with God's honor. Throwing TD, no pick. Break for 85 yards. If he opted hella quick. New stadium, new ring. Same team. Hard since keys are. 49ers, we are. Hating on the city, but they can't hold Quinn. I fuck with court, crap, free, and both win. Breaking records like we throwing vinyl. Staley Davis, you party the whole line go. That the Bartolo name is Super Bowl affiliated. Bowman and Willis, such a frame, and you gon' really hate it. We elated, not a fan. Is a fine man. Do it like the 80s and move right by the Rams. Crush the Seahawks, real life, no weak talk. Go hard on the corners, never take a weak talk. Ain't nobody fucking with us. I got red and gold in my cup. You heard I'm a baby from the 80s. I was born on the turf. I go back like Garrison Hurst and be young. Diamonds on my fingers, so just call me Steve Young. Like Justin Smith, I go hard on the defense line. Let a hater hate, I'm still gon' rip my Here come the kickoff, bet I'm gon' run it all the way home. Yeah, I'm gon' red and gold, blood it, come and get it if you want it. Yeah, we gon' set it off. Do you like Whitner and rip your damn helmet off? I'm lucky number seven, cause your boy deliver. Throwing bombs from the bay over the Mississippi River. They ain't messing with us. From the subs to the projects, through the sky. Steiner, kiss your bicep, uh, soon as we touch down, we gon' burst out, run through them like Gore, going for the first down. Ain't nobody fucking with us, I got red and gold in my cup, Wild West got the game turned up, who got it better than us? Who got it better than us? Who got it better than us? Who got it better than us?
up, y'all? It's your boy, Niner Faithful. Thanks for tuning in today. Hope everyone had a blessed week. Today, I got a very special guest calling in, Nick Sheldon, the producer, host, and document of 49, host of Document 49 podcast, an auto-documentary on the recent history of the Niners from 2004 to currently. And, of course, I'm going to take your calls and texts as well. The number to call in, 408, or the number to call in is 646-668-8467. And the number to text in is 408-785-3015. But before we get started, as always, I have to say, Radio AFS has advertising packages for as little as $25 a month. Go ahead and email me at NinerFaithfulRadio at gmail.com. Message me on Facebook, Instagram, or DM me on Twitter for details. All right. Well, normally we go over a little bit of Niner news first, but there's not really much news that I have seen. Uh, To let everybody know, I don't know how many of y'all are planning to go to the state of the franchise for us that live in the Bay Area, but... It, they're having a little festival, the same area at 3 p.m. So your tickets say 7 a.m. That's because that's when the actual state of the franchise starts. The festival starts at 3 p.m. in downtown San Jose, uh, same place as the state of the franchise. I found this out yesterday. Went to Levi Stadium to go ahead and talk to them, the Niners about a couple things um, at the team store. Uh, we got uh, some items for giveaway now that we'll go ahead and get into a little bit later. But um, I'll probably release, give, start the giveaway tomorrow. But most definitely be there at the State of the Franchise. It's going to be an awesome event. I'm going to be there, so any of y'all who recognize me, come say what's up. We'll, we'll see if we got a little bit of something, something to give y'all. And uh, we're going to go ahead and and do some kick-ass things at the state of the franchise. All right. So we've kept them waiting long enough. I am really, really excited to talk to our guest today. Let me go ahead and bring him on. And Nick, how you doing, brother? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So as we chopped it up yesterday and I uh, told you, we here at Niner Faithful Radio have one rule, besides obviously having to be a Niner fan, you have to, when we bring you on the show, you have to tell your Niner story and what exactly made you become a Niner fan, whether it was a specific game or a family member or something like that. Oh, man. Uh, well, I grew up in Belmont, California, for all you local people listening out there. Uh, so I, I live now in Los Angeles, but my heart's always in the Bay Area. Uh, I don't really have a specific story. I mean, when you grow up in the Bay Area, I mean, I'm sure you know, and everybody else listening knows that it's just part of your blood and your family and your friends, you know, you're growing up and and everybody's wearing red and gold. It's just something that you, you know, you jump into. And especially, you know, I'm 36. Everybody knows if you're around my age or a little older or definitely older, I should say. Uh, it's very, you know, we grew up in a very, we were very lucky to grow up in the time that we did. And we were very spoiled from geez, you know, around, uh, 82 to, uh, or even 79 to all the way till, I don't know, you could say around 1998. 
um, even in 2002, if you want to go that far, um, to have a really good football team in the Bay Area. You know, the one memory I have growing up that really resonates is probably um, uh, Montana to Taylor against the Bengals in the Super Bowl. Uh, I think I was seven years old. Um, and for me, that was the first one that I really remembered um, running around the house, being all excited that we won. Uh, and I was too young to, to remember uh, the other games. Um, I think I was actually born six days after the 49ers won their first Super Bowl. So that was, I guess, nice. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was definitely uh, Montana to Taylor for me is the first one I remembered. And then, I, you know, just growing up and being a fan of the team. And at one point, my family was lucky enough to have season tickets uh, in the Steve and Jerry years, I think around – Oh, I was in high, I was in high school. So I guess it was like 97 to 99. Yeah, no, it was before Steve was, Steve was done before that. So I guess it was like 96 to 98 that, that time. So, uh, and you know, I've been to my fair share of games and, and love the team and I always have since I was a kid. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it's funny that you mentioned the, the Joe to John Taylor, because um, I was a little kid and uh, that's actually, I guess, from what I was told, that was my moment. Um, I was a little kid, and my grandpa, see, um, although I did grow up in the Bay Area, and trust me, like everybody else who grew up here know, when you grew up in the 80s, 90s in the Bay Area, you were pretty much a Niner fan. You had to make a choice not to be a Niner fan, because pretty much everybody was a Niner fan. Yeah, if you, so, if you chose to be a Raiders fan, you made the wrong choice, my friends. They are yeah, nobody's listening to this at their race. Yeah, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, so uh, I don't remember, but my grandpa said that the 89 Super Bowl, I got off of his lap. Um, I pointed to Jerry Rice on his TV, and my grandpa said, you like him? And I said, yeah. And he said, um, you like the Niners? And I said, yeah. And, you know, pretty much ever since then, you know, people – I just remember as a kid – kind of always getting Niner stuff. And and it was just, I don't know if it was the color, the logo, what it was, but I just, I always remember as a kid, I just wanted Niner stuff. And it was just, you know, to, to have that, you know, gold satin jacket or a snap, Niner snapback hat, whatever it was, it was, it, you know, you were just it. And of course, as I got older, you know, it became just more of a, a passion and more of a uh, obsession, for lack of a better word of mine all right that's awesome that's cool so um document 49 how did it come about yes sir um well it's still coming about so uh so you know it's 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 in the works but it's coming um you know so how it came about in 2014 everybody knows that was the year that was jim harbaugh's final year with the san francisco 49ers and there was a mutually agreed the team and him mutually agreed to part ways. Everybody knows that. And uh, the, you know, back then, you know, the, the national media, the local media, everyone, you know, kind of felt like something was amiss. And I, I'm sure a lot of fans felt there was something amiss with the way it ended. Um, and, and furthermore, a lot of people in the media, uh, prominent names like Peter King, who writes for sports illustrator, or at least he used to, I think he moved to NBC recently. There was, there was, chatter that that there should be a espn 30 for 30 on this um that somebody or somebody should do a documentary on this this is a story that really need to be investigated and told and it had it you know we're in 2018 now and nobody's taking the initiative to do it 
Um, and originally I thought that was going to be something that the, uh, that ESPN or the NFL network was going to jump on quickly. And I think the reason it hasn't happened yet for television is because I think the NFL network would need permission from the 49ers to do it. Um, and I'm not sure that any, any of those guys want to talk yet, the players and so forth. And including if you're going to do a documentary on the 49ers during that time, you probably have to talk to Colin Kaepernick. And he hasn't really done any kind of television interviews, you know, about anything since he started kneeling for the anthem. Um, but, you know, long story short, we're in 2018 now. It was really the the two years under Jim Tom Sula and Chip Kelly where and even half of last year where the original idea of doing a documentary on the time, basically from, you know, I'm starting from 2004 when the team was at its lowest point and I'm following basically the entire arc of the team from that time up until today. But it's more so focused on the arc of Alex Smith and the way if you want to, you follow the team and you follow him, it's basically, it goes the same way. It's, it's under, under Mike Nolan and the team was building, but then Alex got hurt. And then we seed into the Singletary era, which was full of crazy stories and interesting anecdotes about every week. There was a different I'm sorry. I said, I want winners. Yes, I want winners, uh, definitely. And, you know, there's so many other stories that people forget about that time that are just super interesting and I've always wanted to explore. Stuff like Michael Crabtree's holdout. Um, oh, geez, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, but, other, you know, what it actually inspired me to include all of that was I remember when Mike Singletary got fired. Uh, I think it was Matt Mayoko who wrote, that he had talked to people who had worked in the 49ers front office during that time. And Matt told his readers or, you know, related a quote to his readers that, you know, one day there would be stories about the Mike Singletary era that would come out that would blow your mind. And from that moment, I was like, I want to hear those stories. I really want to hear what happened during that time. But to finish off what I was saying, you know, we go through, you go through that entire time, Nolan, Singletary, Harbaugh, and you see how the team's building. And for me, when you saw Alex connect with Vernon Davis in the 2011 playoffs against the Saints and they beat the Saints in a game that, you know, the lead changed four times in the last four minutes. And you really didn't think at the beginning of the year that this team was going to be anything close to what it was. And that moment, redemption for Vernon, redemption for Alex, redemption for the team as a whole and watching them build all that talent over the years. It's almost like the perfect football story because you look at Alex Smith, who, you know, people have wrote him off. I mean, if you're a longtime fan of this team, you know that Alex Smith was written off in for by a lot of fans in 07, in 08, in 09, even in 02, I mean, to 2010. And to watch them win that game and fulfill the promise that, you know, that they had all worked so hard to do. I mean, there was that. And then I think just to, to summarize what I'm saying here, to, to watch that team with all those players get so close to winning a Super Bowl fail for for lack of a better way of putting it unfortunately and then for the team to blow up two years later and become what it was under Jim Tom Sula Chip Kelly and even the first half of last year it's really it's really a story that I feel like it's 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 an obvious story it needs to be told and nobody was telling it and so for me it's like okay I have the technical like know how to, to do this and I know the team in and out during that time. Why not do it myself? And so we're doing a podcast version because if you tried to do a version for television or for YouTube, 
you know, there's a good chance, you know, anytime you do anything with the NFL, they can, you know, file a claim with YouTube and take your stuff off. So if you're trying to pull footage for YouTube and do a YouTube documentary, it's going to get pulled down. You know, uh, for television, it's, it's a giant amount of red tape and networking. It's possible that that could happen down the road, uh, even for me. But for now, it's like I can tell the story right now in podcast format, interviewing players, interviewing the press, uh, using sound bites. Uh, and I can do that right now. And, I, you know, that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tell the story of what happened to the team during then and also honor the players that were on the team because, you know, those players who – you know, play during that time, big names, small names from, you know, a guy like Patrick Willis to lesser known players, like, or you mean lesser known players will be remembered like an Alex Boone on the offensive line. Uh, You know, it's just like, there's so many, there's so many little stories. I'm sorry. Isaac Sobawaga. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I tried. It's funny you mentioned that. He was like one of the first people I wanted to interview because he was with the team for so long. I think he was drafted in 2004 and he lasted all the way through, I believe, 2012. Um, but yeah, yeah no, all the, all, all the big, the, you know, the role players, the, the hall of famers and in between, they all have stories and they could all, you know, I really want to honor them. And so for me, this project is a giant summation of all of that. And so I'm just hoping to, to, to do it and do it right. And it'll be out hopefully towards the end of next month. Well, for those who haven't listened to the trailer, um, we're going to go ahead and give Nick an, uh, an opportunity to go ahead and, and plug all his stuff. But, I mean, this trailer gave me goosebumps. When, um, as we were talking a little bit before the show, like I was saying, you know, in our little meeting, I think that everybody in their mama knows about, about Jerry and Steve and Joe and Dwight and, you know, Ronnie and, and all that. And even if you go to the stadium now, I, I, I was – what. Luckily enough to live in San Jose, so it ain't nothing but probably a 20, 30-minute, maybe 45-minute light rail ride for me to go to Levi Stadium. It's not that big of a deal. I go by there all the time. So um, even then, uh, they have the, the whole, you know, they're using the faithful now, faithful then. And their faithful then was Joe, Steve. And I think a lot of times what gets lost in is – for not calling bandwagon fans, but the fans who aren't the fans who aren't diehard, the fans who just sit there and simply want to watch their football, drink their beer for their three hours, and then move on. They they don't seem to understand the rich history that this team had, even before '81. You know, uh, they don't know about Dick Nolan, which was Mike Nolan's father, and so. And I think a lot of times what happens is even then, okay, fine, you got the, you know, 70s, 60s, 50s, you know, and then, you know, early years of the, or mid years of the 40s. But even since the end of the dynasty, I mean, I think you, most people would agree that end of the dynasty was when Steve Young got his concussion in Arizona. That, that's probably the 98 year, you know, was the last hoorah, you know, Super Bowl or bust year. I think most Niner fans would agree with that. And so I remember sitting down drinking a beer with my boy one day and after a game, and I remember looking at him and I said, you know, the majority of this, of our lives that we can really remember this football team's been garbage or, or at least not to the level that, you know, when we were kids, we were used to because, you know, me and my boys are, are all roughly around the same age. And 
I remember when, when we were we were going through the the you know early Harbaugh stages. So the twenty you know ten, eleven, twelve, you know, around eleven, twelve, thirteen, you know, fourteen. It it, it kind of came full circle. It was almost like uh, you know everybody knows the story. The team was garbage. Bill Walsh takes it over, and you know you go from two thousand four, the bottom of the barrel, you know. To 2005, you get Alex, you get Frank, and, you know, 2006, you get Vernon Davis, you know, 07 is Patrick Willis, and you and, and, and to see, and then when you see the team beat the Saints, and the catch three, and the dramatic fashion, and, and you know, you, I dare you to find a Niner fan who didn't believe this was the start of a new dynasty, and it was kind of cool to, to see it almost like, the older the, the the fans before us got to see it in the in the in the late seventies you know mid to late seventies the starting of the you know drafting Joe in seventy nine and Dwight in seventy nine Ronnie in eighty one and this was kind of our version of that and I think what what the problem is is that Harbaugh is I don't want to say a dirty little secret it's it's something that we like to forget. Because you're either just the biggest idiot in the entire world and, you know, fire Jed and let's fire planes, you know, fly planes over the stadium, or, you know, Harbaugh was difficult to work with and, you know, Jed made the right decision and all that. I, I would like to say I'm somewhat in between uh, myself. I, I, it's not, to me, it's not the problem that Jed got rid of Harbaugh. There was reasons that you, you could say Harbaugh, you know, should go. To me, it's not that he, he fired Harbaugh, it's that he replaced him with Tom Sula. That's when I think that the deterioration in qu- pretty quick historic fashion. I mean, I don't think, I can't remember a time that you saw a team that was, you know, what, two years removed from a Super Bowl, you know, two, three years removed from a Super Bowl, go from perennial powerhouse to bottom of the basement dweller like we were in 15, that fast. I mean, it literally happened in a span of a couple of weeks. You know, Patrick Willis gone, uh, Chris Borland gone, Micah Potty gone. And I think that what I really appreciate about your podcast documentary is this is a story, like you said, that's never been told. We, we kind of, it, it, if you're from Mars, and somebody and a Martian tells you tell you about Niner history, you would see, you know, the the Joe Steve Jerry years, a big gap, Harbaugh, and then all of a sudden mysteriously Shanahan appears halfway through this. And and there's a lot that you're missing right there. And what it sounds like is you're trying to fill in the gaps of hey, this is this is all uncomfortable. We nobody wants to remember 2015. Nobody wants to remember two and fourteen and 2016, but this is the story of our football team, and this this is obviously I'm assuming meant for people who really you know honestly care and and were with with the Niners through the hard years. So, how is it going to be structured? Are there going to be are you going to release it kind of like a monthly basis, every couple of episodes a month? How, how is that going to go? Well, first thing I wanted to touch on was that. And in, in you talk about the perspective on the Harbaugh years and how people feel about it now or how people felt about it then. First of all, I think you're right. I think if 
if Jed York had hired Adam Gase in 2015, the story would be, I think, much different. And it's very possible Adam Gase would still be head coach of the 49ers. Um, if you remember, if you remember that almost happened to where supposedly, I think actually Trent Baalke was totally signed on to bring in Adam Gase as head coach, who was of course at the time, the former offensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos, uh, or no, am I wrong? No, no, that's correct. He went to, he went to the Chicago bears after that, before he became head coach of the dolphins. So Gase was with the Broncos and had success with Manning. You know, a lot of people have success with Manning. What you're going to do. Um, and I think Gase is a good, Gase is a good coach, but um, but no, uh, I think if he had hired Gase, uh, of course, I think the story would be much different. Um, I do think I agree with you that Tom Sula, the hiring Tom Sula was obviously not a great idea for many reasons. Um, but I, here's the thing. I think that you're kind of, the way you talk yourself through that and the way Niner fans talk themselves through that, that's kind of the reason for the project because there is still, I think there's frustration and confusion over the gym leaving and everybody has a different opinion about it. You just, you just walked through it where it was like, well, it's either a or it's B. I mean, I think people have a lot of different feelings about the project. One of the things for, or a lot of different things about how Harbaugh left. And one of the things I did for the first three episodes of the show, and I'll get into the structure in a second, but one of the three, one of the things I did for the three, first three episodes of the show. And one thing that's going to be a constant on the show was I went to, um, I live in Los Angeles, so I don't, sadly, don't get to as many Niner games as I'd like, or and I'm, and I'm not, you know, close to the stadium, but I went to the Jaguars 49ers game for pregame, and I interviewed fans using audio equipment to get their perspective on a lot of things on, uh, you know, as back, going back as far as who did you want, Alex Smith or Aaron Rodgers in 2005, you can even remember that, you know, back that far. And then, you know, one of the questions I asked was, I, you know, I asked about the Harbaugh thing and how people felt about it. And pretty much everyone, everyone had this similar but different opinions on it. Most people thought he shouldn't have been fired, but they also understood that he was hard to work with. So part of this is you want it. There is definitely confusion and there is definitely kind of people I think would want more information about what happened because we hear rumors and stories and you hit a, hear a blurb there on, you know, from this beat writer and you see this from this reader and you're like, Oh, I kind of have an idea what happened. It, it part of it is to put all the information in one place and say, okay, this is probably why Jim Harbaugh was fired. This is, this is, you know, if you read the tea leaves and you go through each story, one by one, you get a better idea of how it all fell apart. Um, and then uh, to answer your question about structure, to me, uh, so when I originally started this project, I've been working on this for over a year in terms of research and, and everything else that goes into starting something big like this. Um, and, and again, I've been working, you know, I work as a, as a, in, in television as, a, as, a, as an editor mostly, mostly in sports and, and for online social media stuff and whoever else will hire me pretty much. Um, but, uh, but so I've been doing this for over a year and originally I was going to start in 2005. And uh, basically start with interviewing, you know, I've interviewed beat writers like Matt Mayoko um, of NBC Bay Area Sports. I've interviewed Ann Killian of San Francisco Chronicle. I've interviewed Dan Brown of the San Jose Mercury. Um, and I've asked, I asked a bunch of people for interviews and those are the, you know, those are the people who, um, who said yes. And those were my three for the beginning. So the original idea was to start from 2005. We were going to talk about Alex versus Aaron, Nolan getting hired and work our way forward from there. Um, but what ended up happening is, is that I, first of all, I interviewed some older players that used to play with the team. I don't want to tell, say who those players are yet, but I, you know, you'll find out in like in a month. Um, 
I interviewed those players and suddenly I had all this information about salary cap hell, which is of course post Mariucci, the team falling apart because they had invested contracts in players who didn't deserve them and it had been overpaying like, like and overpaying like the mid nineties. I'm sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. When you're talking about salary cap hell, I'm assuming you're talking about the getting rid of T.O., getting rid of Jeff Garcia, Derek D. Yeah, they were forced the, to do that because they, you know, they had tied up, they had overpaid everyone. At one point, Jeff Garcia was the highest paid quarterback in the league. I mean, in a way, he deserved that, but in a way, he didn't. Um, and uh, you know, I'm he. Jeff was really good for a stretch. Um, I think it was just a matter of. You know, they paid guys, I believe, I'd have to look at my notes, but, I, you know, Kevin Barlow got a big contract. I believe um, yeah. Antonio Langham got a big contract. Uh, mm-hmm. There's somebody else. There's somebody else I'm forgetting, and it's killing me. Um, but, uh, you know, all these players got big deals. And it, and, it, and, it, and it really, the Niners, if you go and you research, and this will be on the, on the show in the salary cap part, the Niners had to drop a bunch of talent because they, they, they could not afford to pay well, I mean, T.O. was a whole other story, but they could not afford to pay a player like Garrison Hurst. They could not afford to pay players like uh, T.O. and uh, and Jeff. And it, it was it was more than that. I mean, you know, Derek Deese left. Uh, there was a bunch of others. I'd have to look at my notes, but they had to reset. They had to reset the roster. And so, um, I, you know, it, what, what's interesting about that time is if the Niners had made good draft picks back then in 2000 three and four they might have been better off but the problem was uh you know in my talks with uh, former players you know terry donahue was picking bad players and you know who these players are they yeah. were uh, you know i don't like to throw players under the bus for bad play but mike rumpf was a bad cornerback and um rashawn woods yeah. never panned out uh the, you know there's a list you go through you look at those drafts and there's not a single player that made it through there's very few players that made it through the Nolan era that was picked before Mike Nolan and Scott McLuhan were hired in 2005. Um, so, but anyway, to, to, to finish what I was saying about structure. So originally I was going to start back then, but then I looked, I, you know, I did the, those interviews at the Jaguars game. I was like, well, these are really good. And furthermore, I wanted to, that those interviews basically was like, all right, I'm going to do a prologue and I'm basically going to give an overview of the entire thing. I'm going to start and, 2004 i'm gonna go all the way to today it's gonna to be an hour-long show it's gonna be over you done but then i wanted balance this is like like a creative process I, I wanted balance so then i went and interviewed two people or two three people from ninersnation.com which are jennifer lee chan who covers the team uh there for them and oscar aparicio and david newman who hosts the better rivals podcast um yeah, and they yeah, also the they also write for say what i said i listen to uh better rivals a lot yeah, they're great. They're fantastic. And um, I interviewed uh, all three of them and uh, for to, just to create balance for this prologue. And But the thing is, I got so much good stuff from them, and I got so much good stuff from the fans that this prologue turned from an hour-long show into like three hours. So what I'm gonna, what's going to happen is in late June, I'm going to be releasing a three-hour prologue that's going to be broken up into three different episodes. Um, and that's going to give pretty much everyone a big chunk what I'm doing. And it's going to hopefully generate a lot of conversation because basically what I'm trying to do is going to be surmised in there. And you're also going to get a lot of good bits of information. You're going to, it's, it's, it's turning, it's looking to be, you know, I'm very happy with what's, what's coming so far. And then after that, we're going to see where we're at, you know, we're starting a Kickstarter. Um, 
and when I say we, it's just me, but the Kickstarter will start um, probably in about, yeah, Kickstarter is probably going to start in about two to three weeks. Um, and from there, I already have the interviews for the first two episodes. I'd like to interview some more former players, but those interviews are already done to continue on, to go back to 2004, start from there and then go to 05 with Alex, Aaron and, uh, Nolan and, and tell, and start, continue to tell that story in more depth and more detail. So the idea is you're going to get your, your big chunk of stuff next month. You're gonna be like, oh man, like this is, this is either if you like it or hate it. You're like, oh, like if you like it, you're like, oh, I want more of this. And so then the production process will continue. And it's just a matter of when I get the stuff done. You know what I mean? I'm working as hard as I can. It's a lot to do. And, uh, you know, I'd like to get them out as soon as I can. It just, it just takes time. So. Well, I think that's what, you know, um, I, I didn't go to school. To, I didn't go to radio or journalism school or anything like that. So I think what, what I've learned in the little less than a year um, in about a month, it'll be a year I've been doing this, is that everybody sees everybody sees a podcast. So, you know, they know that they go to whatever they use podcasts for, they click play, and they listen, and it's done. But what a lot of people don't see is the hours of research, the networking, the marketing, the trying to come up with new content, trying to make sure it sounds good, editing. And so what I think people don't understand is they're like, why does it take you a couple months to put out an episode? Well, because, A, people have lives, you know, and, and, you know, they have the bills to pay. And also I don't think that they really understand the time it takes just for your content. We're not talking about, you know, effects you might add or, or you know, things of, of that nature. Well, I think that what – well, real quick with that, honest, honestly, yeah. with this show, what takes the longest time is, I mean, like getting all these interviews and stuff takes time. This is different. This is not, this is not like for me, this is not a radio show. And that would be much, to be honest, that'd be much easier to do. Um, you know, I, I what yeah. takes the longest on this show is the writing. I'm not jumping on a microphone for this and just talking off the top of my head. I'm writing. I've written over 50 pages of narration. And com- yeah. combined with that, and I'm still writing. I have to write about Trent Balky tomorrow and why he was fired. And it's just like I'm literally going through the timeline and writing everything. So it's collecting interviews, it's writing, and then after all this stuff's written, I have to record it, and then I have to edit it, and then I have to edit it. If this is if you listen to Thirty for Thirties audio documentaries, it's the same kind of thing. And you know, if people people can listen to a podcast where where people talk every week, or they get they turn on the radio, KMBR, they get a four hour show from Mac and Murph or whatever, like great like that's that's what that is and they're going to talk about the most recent stuff this is this is a production this is not and you know what i mean like people are going to be like oh i want i want the more i want it more where's more it's like well it's not that kind of thing it's it's something where you're going to listen to this you're gonna be like oh man i really like this and then you know we'll see if i can get more help it can come out faster but it's you have to start from somewhere and it's just slow it starts and i mean shoot i wish i could write faster i really wish well i mean the thing I really respect about what you're doing is that, you know, um, I saw things in a matter podcast or show that I just didn't think should be a Niner show. For example, um, I won't bring on a guest if they're not a Niner fan. I've done, I've done two, but, like, I'm not going to reach out to somebody if they're not a Niner fan. Um, I'm very Niner-centric, and to me – 
I remember I was listening to this Niner podcast and they had like a Ram on or something. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Why are you having a Ram on a Niner show? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. And so when, what I really respect is that you saw, you saw what you thought was an issue or maybe not an issue, but something that, that should be told. Hey, you know what? Nobody's really said, you know, how did we get to this point? I mean, even, you know, 2011, we hired Jim Harbaugh. 2014, he's fired. There's clearly some stuff happened in between that's not being talked about. Let's talk about it. And I'm going to tell, right, tell you right now, in, in, the yeah. next, in the next five years, you will see a project like this on television. It's going to happen. You know what I mean? Okay. Especially because Jim Harbaugh, some, Jim Harbaugh apparently has his own podcast. So apparently he loves, like, he, he will totally not mind talking about it unless he's got an NDA we don't know about. This project will be on in five years. You know what I mean? This is not even a debate. You will see it on the NFL Network. You will see it on ESPN. There is no question that the Jim Harbaugh story is going to make its way to television. Will it have all the stuff with Alex and Nolan and Singletary? Probably not. And that's fine. You got to cut somewhere if you're going to make a two-hour documentary. But it's going to happen. So, I mean, it's, it's not – the reason I'm doing it is it's, it's – it's, this is a story people want to hear, especially – it's just – it's really – it's Jim. I mean, it's, it's Jim and Colin Kaepernick, if you want to include everything with him with the kneeling, like, that's just the cherry on top. People are interested in what happened to the team, and it's – I mean, it's, it's the way he left. It's, it's a story people want to hear, and, you know, you'll see it on TV. Whether or not I'm involved, who knows, but it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think – the issue, if somebody were to ask me, now obviously you've done a, a shit more research than, than I've done and everything, is that honestly I thought, I, I've heard rumors that uh, Jim started not wanting Jed York, or um, not Jed, I'm sorry, John York, in the locker room after, after games. There was some, you know, a lot of confrontation because, you know, you don't see in the building, so you don't see at – 10 o'clock at night on a Thursday, you know, an argument that they have over a game plan. You just kind of see the finished product. And so I honestly think what Jed did is I thought Jed figured that anybody can coach a football team. And if you have enough talent, you know, uh, you can get anybody. So in his mind, he figured, okay, I can keep Trent Baalke who, you know, drafts players and does this, this, and this, or I, I can, you know, keep Jim Harbaugh, who's causing issues, and, and you know, you can, you can find a coach. You can't always find an Italian evaluator, you know, and so I think he, he was mistaken, and I think that Jed and Jed's, I don't want to say ignorance, but Jen's, Jed's, which, by the way, I, I think what gets understated a lot about Jed York is they don't realize how young he was when he really took when he took over this football team. Right. And they don't talk about how he's learning. So you know, it's it's as as people we grow and we learn. As we make mistakes, we learn from our mistakes, so we don't do them again. So you know, he's looking at Harbaugh and he's saying, "Okay, well, let's get rid of Harbaugh. Bulky will build us a championship roster." Let's go ahead and get, bring in another coach. But I think what Jets found out is not everybody can be a football coach. Because essentially what you got to do is you got to get, you know, you got to motivate people. It's not just X and, and, and O. Everybody in the NFL knows X's and O's. 
I mean, there's I, some more. I disagree. I disagree with that. I don't think everybody in the NFL knows X's and O's. I don't think Singletary knew X's and O's. I don't think Jim Tomsula knew X's and O's. They know their position, and they know how to operate within a playbook, but I don't think they knew X's and O's. But go on. Okay. I, I, I think that's a big misnomer for sure. Okay. Let, let, let me rephrase that. When I say everybody knows X's and O's, I'm, what I'm saying is, is every football coach has a general knowledge of football and what football is. I mean, you know, it's obviously, you know, you have a special, like Shanahan clearly, you know, to me, the best coordinator in the league, you know, before he he was hired and everything. So I think what is getting, what gets underlooked a lot is that Jed learned from his mistake and and I think Jed, Trent Walkley got too much credit because if you look over at the roster of of Balky's actual draft, yeah, you got Navarro Bowman, you got your you know your your, your few Alden Smith, you know things like that. But really, what who built that championship roster and and the core of the roster in the Harbaugh years was was Scott McCoy. Absolutely. And I think that that was – I think that uh, not being privy to the conversation, I think I think Trent was a, a – a, I don't want to say manipulator, but a master at getting you, for lack of a better word, getting you to believe his bullshit. And I think he sold the fact that, he, that you know, he did so much and everything when it's like, okay, well, well – Okay, Trent. Let's let's look at, at at the roster and what you would call those core players, and and the players that were contributing major contributors to the Harbaugh years. Well, was Alex Smith drafted by Trent Baalke? No. Uh, Joe Staley, um, Frank Gore, and, and so I think it's obvious. Now, I'm the type of person that I actually have a blog. Uh, that I written called Jed York deserves credit where credit's due. And I've never was one of those people that was fired Jed because personally um, I know that barring what Jed's ego may think his parents own the team because I guess you can't get rid of Jed. It's not going to happen. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I mean, Denise, I guarantee you, Denise the ball of York wants to walk in the office and fire Jed. She she could, and there's nothing that Jed oh, can no, do to stop true. her. They could just make him but in charge of the stadium or something. That's definitely she, true. She, she's not going to do that. She's not going to fire her baby boy. So when you're when you're making websites calling fireedjed.com, I mean that's cool. You have your right to express yourself, but you're not going to get that accomplished. So now I, I think that it was necessary to let you know your your disapproval with him, you know, and, and I'm not mad that people were flying, you know, stadiums around hell that, you know what, it's about time he woke up and realized what the hell he was doing and destroying, you know, this team that we loved. And I think that you have to look at the Harbaugh situation, but I've talked to a lot of people that are from San Francisco and just generally throughout the Bay Area, and a lot of people problem was not necessarily just the Harbaugh thing, but if you talk to native San Franciscans, how they feel is Jets stole, stole the football team. And I mean, a lot of people without, you know, a lot of people who don't do the research and realize the city never really gave them a, a, a 
feasible option to build a stadium on besides uh, basically a nuclear test site. <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of people look at Jed as, you know, his uncle, his, his grandpa. He, he basically was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. You know, mommy happened to be given the team after the whole, you know, Eddie DeBarlow situation, and mommy handed him the keys to, to the team, and this, this you know, non-San Franciscan person took our football team. And that's a legit concern. It's, it's reasonable. But I think that, that people need to realize that, look, the city of San Francisco had a lot to do with that as well. Right. You know, well, the, the, the city wasn't exactly offering them the Taj Mahal. Yeah, no. And I yet, mean, like, that's that's actually going to be covered in my show too is how the stadium actually got built and there wasn't the city of San Francisco tried. And maybe if the Yorks had been more patient, maybe something could have formulated, but there was, I mean, the Santa Clara thing was, it was an easy answer. Um, a couple of things, a couple things let's, I want to touch break on. It down. I mean, from a business standpoint, because from a business standpoint, it made the most sense. Let's build our stadium. We're literally the only thing that separates Niners headquarters from Levi Stadium is literally a road. That's it. Just just a, a normal wide road. That's the only thing that separates Levi Stadium from the Niners facility. So I, as a uh, functioning aspect, it made the most sense. As a functioning, right. what would make the aesthetics of everything easier? Okay, well, we can just go to – we can have a practice facility in a stadium right. right across the street from each other. That makes the most sense. Yeah, no, I mean, look, like the stadium, I mean, if if people don't want to do a Google search on it, that's fine. I mean, it's, there's, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's in the show and you know, it's, it's, it's really, they made a decision and they built the stadium. I'm not a huge fan of Levi's. And in fact, in the first episode, Every single fan I talked to did not was not a fan of Levi's for various reasons. Um, I don't want to really get into too much because you know what the answers are. It's expensive. Originally, it had nothing. It didn't feel like a football stadium. I mean, these are these are the fans' words, not mine. But I mean, I've been there a couple times, and uh, it's just, that, that, that's I, the I, one. That's the one problem I had is that I, I watched the first time I walked into Levi's Stadium. I said, "Yeah, this is dope." And sterile, growing up very in, in sterile. Well, this this. Growing up in San Jose, it's kind of always been a secret lifelong dream to have my, you know, the Niners, like, wow, they, they play, like, maybe 30 minutes away from my house. Like, that's awesome. But the one problem I have, now they're, they're starting to fix it, but the one problem I've had is that, you call it, I guess it falls under atmosphere. It's, you walked in that stadium, and you did not know that was the Niners stadium. Yeah, the thing with that is, and you'll hear on the on the show because it's it's literally the first thing that's in the show is Levi Stadium because I'm there and I'm interviewing fans about it. Is that you know it's it's it did not feel at first like 49ers Stadium and they've added the Ring of Honor and they've added a lot of player paraphernalia around the stadium to make it feel like more like a Niners Stadium. But Jennifer Lee Chan of Niners Nation just to give you a little preview. You know her her take on it and from what she's gathered is that part of that was because the stadium was Jed's baby. It was his project. And he wanted to start his own legacy and he did not want his uncle's legacy all over the building. I mean, that's, that's the core of it. You know, I'm sure Jed had his reasons, but he wanted to start his own thing and to have it adorned by players from the eighties and nineties and, and to have that feel, you know, you could have put Joe Montana's giant picture on the side of the wall if you really wanted to. And they didn't, you know I mean? I'm not saying they should have, but I'm saying they could have, 
Um, yeah. And, you know, Eddie, uh, it chose to be Jed's thing. But I want to go back to real quick to what you were talking about, Harbaugh, because yeah. I think this is important. So, again, this goes back to, you know, we're talking about Jed and how Jed's the fall guy and how a lot of people like Jed sold the team and Jed, you know, blame Jed for everything. So from what I've gathered from my research and from my interviews regarding this and regarding how Jim Harbaugh was fired and why, here's the thing. I don't think necessarily it was a choice between Trent Balgi and Jim Harbaugh. From what I gather, and this is going to be in the first, you know, three episodes, and I hope people listen to it and really, you know, try to listen carefully because it's, it's from what I found, it's very clear what happened. Jim Harbaugh was, first of all, we know he was a great coach, you know, whether or not you want to argue about his ways or whether Greg Roman is a good offensive coordinator or not, we can have this conversation another time. He won games. Um, Jim Harbaugh, Jim, yeah, Jim Harbaugh, the reason why Jim Harbaugh was fired is because Jim Harbaugh was not operating in the interest of anyone but himself. That's, that's really what it looks like happened. Now you'd say, okay, well, why, how, how would you say that? It's, it's, there's a lot of details, but the first, the first detail is that it seemed like the Jim's way of doing things that he was losing the locker room. Now, why would you say that? Well, a combination of things, but part of it was that Jim, just the, the one example I have is that Jim was at the beginning of the 2014 season, Jim took the team to Maryland to practice with the Baltimore Ravens prior to that season. Um, and, and a lot of players felt that that this, this came out, this came out week one and a lot of players denied it, but a lot of players felt that, you know, they were going to have another long season ahead of them and going to Maryland to practice with Jim's brother was more about Jim than it was about him. Now you can parse that however you want, whatever. So there was an idea that he was losing the locker room um, and, and, you know, Jim's a rah-rah guy and he's also, you know, he's a really great coach, but, you know, people see a rah-rah guy who might have been losing the locker room, whatever. You want to argue that 53 players, who was in, who was out, that's fine. I have some players who have said that people were starting to tune him out in his final season. You can believe what you want about that. What else was happening? Jim was operating in the interest of himself. And what I mean by that is Jim wasn't taking an account that he was part of a team. And by why what I mean by that is part of a team of the front office. Now, what is the evidence for that? Uh, in press conferences, Jim was campaigning for players to get paid. This is not a secret. You turn on a press conference about, um, I believe it was Phil Dawson. And he was at, he was like, you got to pay the man. And it was a lot of these little microaggressions that Jim was doing that we saw and that we didn't see that was just a giant amount of disrespect towards Jed and Trent. And it was, it was a lot of these little things. Um, it was uh, apparently the gym, you know, disagreed a lot of times with who Trent was drafting, uh, you know, the, and, and, the free, and the free agency signings and really a question of a preference over players. Now, who was right, who was wrong, whatever. But I think a, a great example is if you look at, I believe, the 2013 and 2014 seasons, they were shuffling out the third string quarterback often. And there was a question of Jim falling in and out of love with players and, and, and really pushing Trent on to pick up this quarterback, pick up that quarterback. Uh, it, it seemed like that Jim was really just, again, just doing what he wanted to do and not keeping anybody else in mind. And, and furthermore, this also extends to the way they were handling, there was confusion over the way they should handle the behavior of Alden Smith. There's confusion over the way she handled the behavior of, of uh, Ray McDonald and whether or not, you know, that's always a question we're seeing now with Ruben Foster. It's like, what do you do when somebody's been accused of something, but they, you know, they haven't been proven guilty of anything. 
Do you play them? Do you not? Uh, you know, Alden Smith was definitely dealing with an alcohol problem and it, he was playing in games. And there was just a question of, well, they should they just really suspend him and, and get him some help before playing for having him play football? Um, you know, there it was what it comes to is I don't want to put this all on Jim because I don't think that's fair either. Jim's contract no. was up in the Jim's contract was up in the air. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. It, it's just it's just the idea that this was not going to the, work. Like this was not going to work past rumors, this year. One of the biggest rumors I heard was that that um, the player thing is real because I have um, talked to some people who shall remain nameless, but um, that said that that one of the big fights. And arguments, one of the big first huge, you know, disagreements was over cap. Uh, Jim Harbaugh wanted to take cap instead of Alton Smith. And Bulky basically had to put his foot down and, and, and say, no, we'll get him in the second round. And, you know, lo and behold, everybody knows it worked out. We got Alton Smith in the first round, cap in the second round. And so I think that, that is, and I, I, one of the biggest things that I think to, to, to kind of, you know, start to wrap this up is that on the, at least the Harbaugh situation was that it, when Larry Kruger, I listen to the Niner post game on KNBR all the time and Larry Kruger will go in there and, and, you know, interview players. And, and obviously it was, it was, already had noticed that, um, you know, Harbaugh was gone and, you know, fired and everything like that. And he noticed that not too many players were, were that's our coach. How could they fire our coach? You, you, the type of things that you really hear when, when, when players have their coaches back. The one thing that he, that I heard is that it was more older players like Frank Gore, you know, had been around the block and realized that, Hey, you can't just hire everybody and, you know, winning just doesn't happen. And, you know, I mean, let's, let's put this way, like Navarro Bowman, for example. Navarro Bowman really never did experience a lot of losing football before Harbaugh left. You know, uh, you know, some of these players hadn't gone through the bumps and bruises of well, 2004 to 2010. I, well, here's the thing, I think, and here's another thing. I don't want to get into it too much because – yeah. This information is not – the information will be on, on the first three episodes, but who I interviewed about it will not. There was in that locker room, and uh, there was – and this is, this is something I didn't know. In the 49ers locker room in 2014, there was a, there was a big problem with – a lot of players had a big problem with Colin Kaepernick getting paid. Now, why would you say that? Basically, apparently what happened was at that time, the 49ers were tied up against the cap. They had to pay Colin Kaepernick. I mean, he was their quarterback, and he'd just gone to the you know, NFC Championship game two years in a row. Um, and the thing is, is that apparently uh, Jim Harbaugh's message of telling everybody to keep at it, keep chopping wood, keep playing hard. There were a lot of players on that roster who needed to get paid and didn't get paid because of Colin. Now, part of that's business. Part of it, you have to understand, okay, you got to pay your quarterback, blah, blah, blah. We know that as fans. And players know that too, but I think players also were surprised that I don't think they expected him to get paid that much. Maybe, I mean, that might be part of it, but a lot of players had to leave the following year. I mean, whether they retired or whether they had to go to another team, Mikey Potty, I believe, was a salary cap uh, casualty. I'm not saying he was one of the ones, I don't know. But there was definitely some discontent over the fact that Colin got paid. And, and the other players didn't. Now, again, 
wouldn't you direct that angst towards Trent Balky? Maybe. Um, but, you know, I, I can't really say it. But there was that. But I think, in, in short, it wasn't going to work. It just wasn't going to work another year. I mean, even, I mean, we know there's stories about Jed. I mean, this is in the show. Everybody knows that Jed coming in the locker room and uh, Harbaugh saying this meeting's for men only. I mean, that's, that's a story everybody knows now. There's Cassie Balky, Trent's daughter, tweeting out after the Seahawks game that Greg Roman, go home. We don't want you no more. And Jed apologizing to the fans on Twitter. Between the three of them, it was not going to work. And Jed's the owner of the team. And, and combined with the, everything we just talked about, the locker room, Jed's the owner of the team. Trent was doing his job. Whether or not he was doing his job well, I leave that up to you. But Jim mm-hmm. was – I think Jim was doing a little – Jim was operating in the interest of himself and not much in the interest of others. But, I mean, to quote Oscar in my podcast, he was arrogant, but when you back it up, you can talk. But at, a, at the same time, it just seemed like it was a relationship that was not going to work another year. And it was just when you're when in the position he was in, he was the odd man out. And so, so I don't think, well, I, I think Jed, I, just, I, I think Jed made the best decision he could in the time that he could. Cause I just, I, it wasn't going to work between Jed and Jim. You know what I mean? Unless you give Jim the yeah. full control. So I just think it's a tough situation. I don't think there was an easy answer. I really don't. And I think that that's something that your podcast is really going to help. And I, I think because just just within this, you know, the last hour of talking to you about, you know, a lot about obviously the Harbaugh situation, you know, I, I'm looking at it in a different light. And I'm looking at it as a person who, I mean, this isn't technically a business, but somebody who runs a, a thing that's like a business you know, am I going to want to deal with somebody every day that comes in here and, 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 you know, they do their job, but, you know, am I going to want a producer that's difficult to work with when I start to think that, you know what, I can get anybody to come in here and produce this show. I'm pretty damn good. So, I mean, I think this will help bridge the gap. And, I mean, if, if I had Jack York, if I had Jed York sitting in front of me right now and had an opportunity to have him in the show, I think the ultimate thing I would tell him, coming from a faithful like myself, is that I'm not one of these people, I think we both agree on that, that we don't seem like one of those, pe- those people who are really going to really accomp- think that anything's going to be accomplished by screening for Jed's job. But what I would say is, and I understand that there's some things that you can't re- release the public just for simple professional reasons but I think that I would tell Jed you're great you got the stadium built regardless of whether people like it or not you know you got the stadium the the business side of football I think where you come off is I think he tries to like you said you know make his own legacy but kind of pulled from his uncle and and it it almost seems he's very awkward because it's like you want to say when was class Jed wants to win he just doesn't he just often the execution is just often not he I think he's got it right now but but he definitely wants to win it's just whether it's a uh, whether it was him growing up or whatever it was it's just his his way of doing it hasn't worked out but he definitely wants to win 
it's just, you know, sometimes in that press conference, those things he said were not the most PC things you should say after you fire his coach. But to be fair, and then I'll stop talking, is that he said, I guarantee you today we're not going to win today's press conference. He said that when he fired Jim. He knew it was an unpopular yeah. decision. So, I mean, uh, you, you, you basically took the, uh, the words right out of my mouth. Well, before we go ahead and, uh, and get up out of here, Nick, uh, first, I would really like to thank you. I, I learned a lot. I'm really looking forward to to at least those first three three episodes coming out. Uh, where can people? Uh, I know that you're you're trying to look for donations to to help with the cause, and you know where can people get a contact with you? Uh, where are you going to be accepting donations? And m- most importantly, where can people find the trailers? And then as soon as they're out, the episodes. Well, listen, just go to document49.com. Everything's there. Uh, appreciate all the follows, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Our Twitter following is doing pretty well, considering I haven't promoted anything or paid for any promoted tweets. Um, and if you just, like, stay tuned, especially on Twitter, like, you'll see, you know, you'll see links to go to the Kickstarter once we launch it. I want to make sure that the show's out when the Kickstarter's out at the same time, so then people will be like, this is good. I would like to donate to it. But if you go to document49.com, the trailer's there. Just scroll down. I think the trailer kind of sells everything. So you watch that trailer and you see what we're trying to do or what I'm trying to do. And, uh, and you know, everything else is there. All the Twitter, everything else. Just follow us on Twitter. I put out a photo every day and while I'm working on the show. And, uh, yeah, we'd appreciate it. Yeah, most definitely. Um, is it by any chance it's the same trailer that you had me listen to on SoundCloud? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so that's the other thing. Thank you. <laughs> you should, I should definitely tell people. No problem. Okay, the show is on iTunes and SoundCloud and Google Play Music right now. So what's on there now is the trailer episode, which is similar to the the, the video trailer. Subscribe now on your phone using you know again iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Subscribe now. Forget about it, and then in a month or so or less. The, the show is going to pop up and you'll be like, oh, I remember this from a month ago. I'm going to listen to it now. So if you go and subscribe now, you're good. Then you, and you know what I mean? And then follow us on Twitter and I appreciate all that. But yeah, just subscribe now and then you're good for later. Just search document 49, okay. document space 49. All right, Nick. Well, thank you again for coming on, bro. We, we, I'm, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure I speak with my listeners to say we're definitely looking forward because this is a very important part of, of Niner history. So that you're covering. We really appreciate what you're doing, bro. Keep up the good work. For sure. I hope everybody likes the show, and thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem, bro. Go Niners. Go Niners. All right. So before we get out of here, everybody, we're going to go ahead and I got to read my outro. Oh, this is so horrible. Um Okay, before we get out of here, I'd like to thank Nick for coming on today and hanging out with us today. And remind everybody, Radio AFS has advertising packages for as little as 25 bucks a month. Email me at NinerFaithfulRadio at gmail.com or get, on me at, get at me at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter for the details. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See y'all next week. Peace, love, and happiness. Or see y'all next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Peace, love, and happiness. Go Niners. Okay, play. Uh, okay, here we go. All right. And you know what? The longer it takes us to figure that out, the better we are. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm a niner from the earthquake country. I can make the earth shake. About to bring it back like the 89 earthquake. Throw a pass at me, I'ma catch it like Crabtree. Who got the kush? Cause the smoker gotta have tree. And pass the joint, cause the player gotta have mo. I spit a blunt down the middle like Frank up. A quarterback don't bullet like Kaepernick. And take a poodle out the game like Alex Smith. Red and gold, that's the color of the realest. Staying on my toes, call me Patrick Willis. We back up in it. It's my team winning. I'm the comeback kid. All I need is one minute. We win like the 80s in the Super Bowl City Fit and take another ring home Super Bowl City Lucky Land Casino Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess Aha, in my dentist's office More than once, actually Do I have to say? Yes, you do In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting Really? Yes Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.